Hello and welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy. It's part of Comedy Victoria and hosted by me, Luke Morris. This week, or this month, because we're monthly now, uh, it's Janet McLeod. If you don't know Janet uh, in Victoria comedy, then this is your introduction to the person who runs the longest running comedy show in Victoria, the uh, Local Laughs in St Kilda. Um, and Janet also tours around Australia and the world producing comedy gigs. She's a great producer. She knows everybody, but she also knows what it takes to create a great room. And we have so many nuggets of gold in this uh, conversation. There's all the skills that that established and new comedians need to know about and uh, tips on how to produce a lineup and what to put together to make a good show. And so it's really worth listening to. Um, if you do find this worth listening to, which I think it is, uh, please support Comedy Victoria so that this keeps happening. Um, to do that, go to Instagram or the, or the Facebook. There's at Comedy Vic. Or join the newsletter where you can get information about gigs and mental health projects and uh, other bits of support. That's uh, at, that's www.comedyvictoria.com.au. You'll find all the information there. But let's jump into the interview and dissect the frog of producing lineup comedy shows with Janet McLeod. Oh, and I thought I'd let you know that I started chatting to Janet before I turned on the recorder. So you sort of meet us partway through as Janet explains one of the role reasons she likes uh, taking on producing, which has to do with lanyards. Enjoy. Just, it's what I do for fun. That's the thing. It's like where I go, oh, look at me, I've got a lanyard. I've got a thing that goes beep. <laughs> so I get to pretend that I, I go, oh, look at me. I can, I can pretend that I've got a, a real job, like a real person. <laughs> oh, this is a terrible thing to admit, but I, I, okay, I hate internet dating, but I just thought I'd get back and have a look at it again. And I yeah. swiped on someone purely because they were wearing a lanyard. And I thought, oh, that makes them look important. Wonder, <laughs> wonder, what their, wonder what their story is. Lanyards, they're good. Ooh, lanyards. lanyards. Must, must be going somewhere in that. I love, a, I love a lanyard. That's probably why I like festivals and producing, yeah. because yeah. you get a lanyard. Yeah. You get to go, oh, look. <laughs> it's laminated. Yeah. That's why digital ones, digital no. festival passes. Oh, you know. I like the sense of belonging. <laughs> yes. I like the, I, I mean, I understand the idea of uh, uh, reducing the number of things I have to print and produce, but it, oh, is, yeah. it is cool to flip it out. Hmm. You know, I used to wear it proudly when I'd go around fringe or something, but now I just sort of tuck it a little bit just to be oh. like a little bit more cash. Oh, yeah. And then there's the big, the, the reveal when I have to use it. <laughs> Well, there you go. There's our secrets. Um, are we? Have we started? <laughs> Not uh, yet. N- nobody ever really knows where we start. No. Uh, you've got a. You've got a good mic. I've got a condenser mic on my headset. How's it? How's it sound from your end? You, no, you sound perfect. You sound. Yeah. You, you sound like you've been doing this all through lockdown, and you've got it down to a T. <laughs> 
It's almost like I have. <laughs> oh, mate, I was listening to someone this morning who was saying, yeah, they, yeah, they've been doing podcasts for years and their microphone is still terrible. It's amazing how they uh, have various standards. Yes. But, well, you know, you get people, I suppose, who just, I don't know, they, they, they're just making do. Yeah, I don't it, know. I, I don't get it. It throws the question um, uh, of, of content versus quality sometimes. Hmm. Um, and as a, as a segue into talking about comedy and people doing comedy gigs, someone once told me, and I think I've mentioned this on, on this podcast recording research thing before, um, there's three things that a comedian, that, that makes a good comedian. Um if they have all three, it's great, but you've got to have at least two, which is good writing so that the, the, the joke structure is good. Yep. But then you also can have a good stage presence and good delivery, which sounds mm. like the same thing, but they, they, they break it up into two separate things. Mm. And he so said sometimes you can see people on stage, who, their jokes aren't that great, but they've got a really good stage presence and their delivery is so good yeah. that people – see the pattern and the and the and the meter yeah. and the whole thing and they, they laugh along whereas somebody else has to really focus on the quality of what they've written yes. because they're a bit less less confident on stage and so this the, the way they the quality of their performance is skewed in that way. Mm. And I'm, I see you nodding. So you, someone told me this and I thought that makes sense. And I keep trying to pick people out when I think about that. And it sort of does make sense. And you've seen it. You, you reckon that's. Oh, oh yeah. Really I, see it all, I see it a lot where somebody's writing. I mean, there's times when somebody's writing is really good, but they are not a confident performer. It takes them, it can take them quite a while. And sometimes it doesn't actually happen mm-hmm. as well. Some people will keep persisting, but, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a comedy writer. You don't have to perform. Yeah. <laughs> you could do other things. It's I like think... other, it's people who desperately want to be part of the comedy industry and so they keep trying to be a performer again and again and again and again and it's not quite coming together. There's lots of other options. You could be a producer. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why this is about uh, writing, performing, and producing because they're, they're, they're sort of seen as separate. Though it is, you know, it's, it's a shadowy world being the writer because, you know, the person on the stage is the one you see and you identify. And I've talked to um, Luke McGregor, who's probably an example of someone who's great writing and wasn't always confident on stage, even though he's mm. improved. But even then, he said when they when they try and find people for um, uh, writers' workshops when they were doing uh, the TV show, um, Rose Haven, Rose yeah. Haven, that's it. Uh, it was it was identifying people who were on stage because that's the way you get noticed. Yeah, yeah. But I think you're right. I saw someone at an open mic a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I thought she was very good, and she had a much much better joke per you know sentence structure mm. than the many guys on stage after her but uh she's she gave no time after her deliveries she was really quite nervous and i could see that and i just wanted to tell her afterwards you did really well because she just sort of talked over laughs because oh yeah she rushed a bit yeah well that's it sometimes that it it is 
there's confidence, but there's also that experience yeah. of, oh, this is probably going to work. And if I just hold things a little bit longer, it, it does work better. So yeah. it, sometimes it's, it is a mechanical thing. And it's, so it's not necessarily what's coming from within you. It's just that uh, knowing a little bit more about the mechanics of comedy, like yeah. what's that holding is, is actually fine. <laughs> the, the timing, timing is actually part of, part of the, the writing. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's very interesting. Yeah. And it, it reminds me, I, um, I tried something new cause I don't do a lot of stand up these days, but like getting back into write some new things. And it was that finding that confidence of listening to the audience and finding where they started to laugh and going, all yeah. oh, right. Okay, so now I have to build around that point. Yeah. Because now I know where the laughs actually really are. Make sure I pause for those so they actually work and those so structure. (laughs) Give them the chance to do that. Structure the jokes so the bits that don't laugh, cut them out. (laughs) And we work it it all around. Somebody said, what's the secret behind comedy writing? And and somebody else replied, just say, just Say funny things out loud often. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> How the secret of stand up? Say funny things out loud often. <laughs> well, that's, it's, it's interesting though because it's is. I think it, it's true, but it's also hard. You can't. I don't know. You can't really teach that. No. But, um. Eventually, I was going to get to a question. And I might as well roll straight into it. How do okay, you, how, let's start it. Are we? Are yeah. we starting? Are we I think starting? We, I think we've already started. To be oh, honest. Oh God. With you. Okay. I'll, I'll use some of this that we've already discussed. I think All right. Interesting. Um, one of the things because we've talked about writing from the start and learning how things go. If you're booking a room, mm. obviously, how how do you choose people? Because I I know I'll give you I'll give you a bit of context for other people. Yeah. Um, I know from booking paid gigs that I do in regional Victoria that I always want people who are going to work really well, but then again, I don't know everybody in the scene, so it's sort of hard to find somebody new, but whenever I get a chance, I try and find somebody new, but it's also hard to know who's coming up and who's doing good and all that sort of mechanics. So it's, uh, I, I struggle with the trying to book people who are reliable, but also trying to give people who are a chance a go and all that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it, it is a... And, and it, fitting people into into a lineup is the other thing. I try and think about who who can work together in a, in a, yeah. in a scene and whether or not... Do you even bother thinking about that? I do. I yeah. do put a lot of thought into it. I, it finding complementary acts, uh, finding people who... Kids who play well together because you don't want... Uh, you talk about personality clashes as well in a lineup. Yep. Uh, I see it, I've said this before, I see it like putting together a patchwork quilt where some pieces will fit perfectly together and others you just tinker around and go, oh, yeah, I see how that works. This yeah. fits there, that fits there. Because you want to think about the show as a whole. A lot of people think of just a list of people or, yeah. They don't even think about the show as a whole. It's just uh, he, here's a list of comedians. Yeah. So they it, fling them all together and hope it, for the best. It's sort of going back to what you said, funny is funny. Just say funny things into a microphone. But you can't just uh, – it's not as simple as that when you're putting together a, 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 
a lineup. Yeah, you want to think about the different energies that people bring and think about the different styles because some things are going to be abrasive up against each other. Oh, yeah. Or there's going to be some acts that might struggle after the gear change from the previous act. Yeah. So I always think about the in general, I'll start a night off with somebody who is a strong act who's reasonably straightforward. When you say start off, do you you talk about the MC or the first act? Uh, The first act. Okay. So the MC MC is somebody that you want who brings the party atmosphere, who brings the room together. Uh, Somebody who could cohese the room is pretty much it. And then the first act will be somebody who's got a a not not quite neutral, but just – a, re, a, a strong, straightforward act. They don't have to be stand-up. They could be musical, but as that's the the beginning. And the next act can be an act that's a little bit more experimental or newer. Yeah. So there, there's just some other quality happening there. And then the third act, you want them to bring in the bring bring in your first bracket. Bring it in strong, Luke. And then you've got your headliner act. If that's the structure, if that's a style of show that you're putting together. So that tends to be the way that I do it. Uh, So if there's an experienced comedian who's trying out new material, they might like to go in the second position or even the top of the second half is often a good place to to put that because everybody's back from the break and they've had a – bit bit of a uh, chat to people, had a drink, and they're ready again. They've reset themselves. So that's a good way to do that. So, yeah, I always see the just a rhythm to a show. For me, I can can map it out. I I guess that's just an experience thing. It's the way, what are my superpowers of uh, knowing aptness? There you go. That's the way I pick it, an apt act. Where I see, I, I do, I can, I can map it out. Yeah. If forced to explain, then I can. <laughs> but I, I know what you mean because there is a lot of um, uh, exactly that to, to bring the room together, that high energy, and then you sort of know that if someone's got a little bit of low energy, well, that's the, that's the question. Sometimes there's low energy comedians. Um, I was thinking Lloyd Langford as an example because he has a quite monotone mm. sort of droll, but I have seen him on stage and he does get, he, sometimes he does get quite animated. So I suppose it's just a bit of a change and a shift depending Let's on think the of audience. Matt Stewart, who I had on at Local Laughs on Monday night. Yeah. And Matt is a great example of low key, low key energy, but he delivers material wise. So yeah. he's very, He's a very distinct performer, and but the material is so good that it launches things off. So he'll come on and comment on himself of saying, "Yeah, well, I've brought the energy right up now. I can tell." And just you know, and it's funny because he is so low key. So we involve ourselves in this game of playing the fact that we our energy is down, even though it's not. We're just we've keyed into him and we're so involved in it. We're so enjoying the play of it that it keeps our attention. 
but that's a real skill like oh, something very like much. something like matt and, and 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 as you were describing matt i was thinking bronwyn cuss is almost a similar kind of thing she is yeah they come in and set the tone for their character on stage oh, yeah. really quickly mm. and um almost without any sort of uh compromise so the yeah. audience has to get on board really quickly but also they like they do always. I don't. I don't know. I, I can't quite dissect the frog of how they do it because it just seems something that they. Well, it is coming to the coming to the the crux of what your character is very quickly. Geraldine Hickey, complete master at it. Where Geraldine comes on, and then just says, "Sup, fuckers," and that's it. Yeah. And we are in. <laughs> we are completely in. It's a brilliant way to do it. I remember Dave O'Neill used to come on and uh, this is like, you know, 90s into the 2000s and just go, yeah, thanks for coming to my 21st. <laughs> it's just silly. It's silly. Yeah. And it made every, it just gets you in instantly. It's such a good icebreaker. But that's almost like, yeah, and that, and then almost that's like the rest of Dave O'Neill's set. But it's just yeah, one, exactly. one joke. Yeah. Everyone knows what he's going to do for the next 15, 20 minutes, whatever it's going to be. Mm. He has this ability to tap into uh, common experience, common suburban Australia experience, and we uh, engage really quickly with with it. If you if that's your background, if or if you understand uh, that that's the background of other people in the audience, you you jump on board. And I really like I like that. It's fun. Oh yeah. I mean that poses a question though. I know you. Do you? I know you go overseas for gigs. Do you produce the gigs that are overseas? Or do you yeah, just go... I've been. I've been producing in Edinburgh. Uh, when did I? I was helping somebody out in 2016, but then 2017, I produced Laura Davis, in her Cake in a Rain. Cake in the Rain was the the show, which, I mean, this is how much. I believed in that show because that was the year I turned 50. Oh, can you believe it, Luke? And no, I no. have known for decades what I was going to be doing for my 50th birthday. It was going to be this big party and I was going to have a band and there was going to be acts and it was going to be you know, some big place. And instead, I was in Edinburgh handing out flyers in the rain. <laughs> On the mile. Oh, my gosh. Because <laughs> and that's the... When I, I could just remember going into the arts industry office and saying, blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, guess what today is? It's my birthday. And them going, oh, wow, happy birthday. And I said, and guess what? It's my 50th birthday. And they go, what are you doing here? And I said, that's how good this show is. Mm. And everybody go, okay, and take the flyer. <laughs> that's and that brilliant. was it. That's very smart. So. <laughs> It was true. But on the upside, there was a picture of a birthday cake on the flyer. So, uh, oh, there you go. It, it, it was meant to be. My 50th birthday was held between the hours of 4 and 5 p.m. at Paradise Palms, my favorite <laughs> cocktail bar in Edinburgh. Oh. And that's true. the way I did it. So, yeah, that I produce over in Edinburgh. And I also produced that one at Soho Theatre in London too. So um, Laura had three nights there as well, which sold out. She's fantastic, Laura, by the way. Oh, think, such, oh a, such a talent. Interviewed what a, um, Grace oh. Jarvis and Grace, and she mentored Grace Jarvis recently. We basically just praised Laura Davis for 
most of the chat. Oh, it looks like we're doing it again because she she's brilliant. <laughs> she's one of she's one of the the most brilliant comics. Yeah. That you will you will find. She's really got interesting interesting material, gritty, edgy, uh, well written, everything everything you want. Great delivery. Love what she does. Good improvisations. Uh, dismant- if there's anybody who's problematic in an audience, she will surgically dismantle them. Yes. So it won't be nasty. Won't be a. Gr- it's just you wouldn't want to be that person. <laughs> She's not very compromising. No. Um, and and why? And neither she should be. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not saying she should be either. But I think that's just a. Um, what it's, is that? It's a talent, a, a, a thing to praise her for. It's a, it's vast a great attribute. Talent. Yeah, yeah, a vast yeah. talent. Anyhow, so it looks like it's the second podcast <laughs> of yours there where Laura Davis is being hailed as the comedy genius that she is. She is. And but, rightly so. Rightly so. But what I, what I wanted to mention with um, uh, gigging overseas, as much as I love to talk about Laura Davis, when you, when you mentioned um, Dave O'Neill and, and everyone you know, locally knowing a, a lot of the um, the characteristics that he comes from, you know, he, mm. the, the the local Australian. I was interested in in seeing your opinion on um, just producing comedy gigs overseas, audiences overseas versus audiences here, and how um, acts are sort of how the rooms are in Edinburgh versus Adelaide or or Melbourne, or how for some oh, reason okay. I wrote down Grace Jarvis, and I, I was thinking how. Even if it comes down to the differences between someone like Laura doing a show in Melbourne, and oddly finding that some of the jokes work don't work here, but don't work over there, or they do work, or, or mm. is, there, is there any nuances between, or, or do you just find funny is funny, and if I mean, they're funny here, they're funny over there and there. There's funny, funny is funny, but there's also, I, I suppose, the understanding of how for example, stand-up works, so you've got to know the goalposts. Like, you've got to know all the boundaries. Uh, and if the touchstones, I'm using lots of metaphors here, the touchstones are not the same in different countries and cultures. So you're not going to be able to instantly grab the right brand name, the exact uh. one that you need. Or uh, I know sometimes I've had... UK comedian saying, oh, what if, uh, what's your equivalent here to like dinner ladies like we have at, at schools? And mm. it's like, we don't really have it. I, I hear what you're saying. Some people will say tuck shop lady, but it's not the same as yeah, what you're okay. talking about. Yep. So we don't have it. So you'll have to tell me the joke yeah. and then I'll see what I, what I think the reference could, could approximate to. It's like people saying, oh, what's the worst suburb? But has nuance no matter where you are yes it does yes i've fallen into that trap personally but yes yeah well that's it so i always say to somebody tell me the joke and then i'll be able to suggest what it could be and you know get other people around like workshop it with some other comics uh can, can, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just jump and say yeah tell yeah. the joke because i had this scenario of i said what's a, what's a funny suburb in adelaide something that you can sort of use as a, as a funny reference and people kept telling me elizabeth yeah and i don't know if you know elizabeth very well but they're quite it's quite a downtrodden suburb yeah and so to be the butt of the joke is just sort of punching down which i didn't yeah. know until i was on stage 
and use mm. Elizabeth in two 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 shows running. The joke didn't work. I thought this always works in Melbourne when I use two rack as the example. So I just went back to someone <laughs> and said, uh, "Yeah, two rack I, and Elizabeth, be, but not the yeah." Should I be using? You know, is this how about Norwood or something? Can I use that? Mm. And then when I started to change it to Norwood, because the structure of the joke, just saying what's a suburb that um, people can make fun of, yeah, wasn't enough. No. Needed, yeah. And that's the thing. As soon as you change country or change the context, then mm. things do things do shift. There's just that slippage that happens. Uh, and also when you put it in, you contextualise it in a scene, for example, when you're at Edinburgh Fringe, then you have some people going to a show who have been going to Fringe shows for decades. So they have seen a lot of stuff. And you'll also get older audiences who are really into edgy stuff. So people who are tempted to think that older people you have to play it safe with. You get to Edinburgh and there's people who they're used to seeing people turn up naked and things shoved up their butts <laughs> and whatever yeah. else. And, yeah. and they're used to that. And so if you undersell them, <laughs> it's different. It's it's you're not you're not having just a lovely fluffy day out with them. They're going, oh, this isn't, this isn't edgy. Oh, dear. <laughs> you want yeah. originality, I suppose, because yeah. there are certain topics where, oh, you know, you hear them a lot. If somebody's got a fresh take on it, though, or, or they're very um, authentic, if they've got an authentic voice, then they can bring a freshness to material or, or subject matter, rather, that's been trodden. Uh, a fair bit, but they they'll have something different to it. It's like when, you know, it's like when people are trying to be edgy and say shocking things. Oh, they're and, that. And, yeah, and yeah. if you if you've seen a lot of comedy, you go, oh, this again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, go yeah. on, tell me a little more about your fascinating worldview. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I remember somebody going, oh, you how would you think? And I went, oh. Hey, it wasn't really my cup of tea. And they said, oh, a bit dark for you. And I just burst out laughing and I went, <laughs> I love dark humour. I really like dark humour. But it's just when it's something that's just, oh, you know, oh, here's a shock thing. I'll say something to yeah. shock you. Yeah. But if it's not something that you're shocked by or you go, oh, yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> yeah. Like not just once. I, if it's something I've heard, that's fine. But if it's something you hear again and again over decades, you go, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, there's a um, the example I think of there was I heard this last night. I didn't open mic. Uh, uh, some a guy on stage was was saying a scenario and he said, and then I kissed kissed them, and it turned out to be a guy. Oh and yeah. The fact that it, he wasn't kissing a girl was supposed to be the surprise reveal punchline. Wow. And it, a, apart from the fact that that's quite dated as a thing, it's also not really. Like surprising, like there's, there's no, there's nothing within that that really like. Why should that be? Weird? Yeah, why is that, why <laughs> is that a on. twist? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's plenty of guys kiss guys. Okay, but, but I, I wonder about that because maybe this is a thing with, uh, as you said, you've been doing comedy work for a while. There's always going to be a generation of people who, for the very first time, have had a breakup. And so they oh, yeah. tell their jokes and their stories about that. And it is just a new generation of 
of people, or it's the first time it's happened to that person. So there's mm. their, there's their comedic take on that experience, but it's the same topic as been done for before. Have yes. you seen any evolution to that, or do do you, do you, do you still find it interesting that when people bring up topics, but like if it's personal, is there? Oh yeah, well, people will have their personal stories, and again, once again, if it's authentic, then yeah. I'm interested. I suppose what I I get frustrated when there's somebody saying something, and I'm thinking, this didn't happen to you. Yeah, you've made this up, and it's real. You're not a good enough actor to get away with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just view it with curiosity, and I go, I don't know why you're saying this. I'm not. Oh, how odd! <laughs> so I just get a little bit befuddled yeah. by it. But if somebody's telling something that's quite a, a rollicking yarn about a subject that I've heard lots about, that is still fine. I mean, you know, tell me some jokes about food. I'm happy. Tell me some relationship things. Great. But again, it's things that's got an original twist. Uh, then it's going to work for me. I guess it's the authenticity again. It's not sometimes. To... Yeah. Oh, you know, sometimes in a, a scene, then there's dominant voices and dominant styles or dominant topics. And one of the dangers in an open mic scene is people reflecting too much on on what each other is saying. And so once you're seeing them again and again and again and again. You get certain sect, I suppose, who are all talking about the same things. Mm -hmm. So when you try and program, you can't program them in the same lineup because they're all talking about the same thing. You don't want to hear, here's somebody in their 20s talking about dating, here's somebody in their 20s talking about dating. You, it's, it's just too much of the one thing for a, a full show, for a, a rich the rich tapestry of a show. Uh, if it's a show all about dating, great, bring it on. Have you but, seen that though? Have you seen that? I, I have noticed that in um, some corners of Melbourne. One, one of the things, so coming from regional Victoria, and I think one of the benefits for people in regional Victoria is that sadly you do spend a bit of time alone, but it just means you also are influenced by the things that you find funny a lot more. As opposed to the ability, as opposed to going to open mic night every single night of the week, yeah. and then getting into that, and I don't want to say it's a bad thing, but there there can be, as you, as you allude to, that rhythm and the adoption of the topics mm. that are systemic in that thing, as opposed to the fact that you've got one person in Ballarat who likes drawing pictures and having a slideshow and one person in Bendigo who likes having music and one person in uh, Echuca who likes doing one-liners and they mm. all come together because they're just, that's where they are. Yeah. yeah. And they're not influenced by each other. Well, that's how <laughs> back back in the yesteryears when you'd get the different styles in the different cities. Like I remember the way we'd describe it, like people from Sydney would come to visit Melbourne and they'd be all rapid fire and joke, 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 joke. Like they'd get on stage ready for battle. And they'd go, da, 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 you know, just machine gun fire jokes. And in Melbourne, we'd be going, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> hang on, hang on. Just, ju just tell us about yourself. Who are you? 
<laughs> we wanted the personality. It was sort of like the oddballs who were wow. gathered in the 90s in Melbourne, <laughs> early, late 80s, early 90s, a bit more. It was a bit more oddball and individual. Uh, so, but yeah, it's sometimes a dominant voice will, will infect a scene. <laughs> that doesn't sound right. But, you know, suddenly uh, at one point all the boys sounded like Dave Hughes. Like in the 90s, I just remember all these open micers who were all sounding like Dave Hughes. (laughs) And sometimes it it can happen like where, you know, Danielle Walker's got that little laugh that she'll do when she's in delivery and suddenly I noticed a stack of people were doing that. Uh, And sometimes it takes them a little bit to to shift into their own own voice. And as soon as people do, then it's, it's great. It is hard. It is. It, uh, there's plenty of times you can sit there and go, "Okay, that person's watched a lot of Mitch Hedberg." Yeah, yes. That, person, that person's been listening to Bill Burr. Yeah. yeah that that one likes Bill Hicks. You know. I know. I I can remember one person saying, "Oh, I've got any feedback? Anything that I should work on?" I said, "Just stop listening to Bill Hicks. That's <laughs> my one bit of advice." <laughs> don't don't think Bill Hicks is a god. Stop listening. And you and your voice are good enough. You you are who we want to hear. We don't want to hear Bill Hicks. He's he's done it. He did Bill Hicks fairly well. <laughs> yeah, had had a successful career in England, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> then he was here and <laughs> ninety four comedy festival, and and was a bit sleazy. But anyhow. Yeah, I'd like to. I've heard some. I've not actually heard anything. I've heard some people say, "You know, it's not. He wasn't as good." And I was like, "I just know that some of his strokes are really good. That's all I want to know." Oh, you know, I, I, I mean, I'd say, uh, I'd say about eighty, eighty-five percent of the gig was pretty good. But then there was another fifteen percent that I went, "Ah, it was a bit, you know, hacky kind of sexist stuff." That I went, "Ah." But not in a not not in an interesting way. And then mm. meeting him afterwards, somebody said, "Oh, this is this is Bill, Janet, Janet, Bill." I went, "Oh, hi, chat, chat, chat," and within thirty seconds was going, "Oh, oh, sleaze bag, bang, uh, <laughs> peel off." Yeah, he's been on that late night flight, and he uh, wants to go to bed. Oh no, he yeah, well, yeah, yeah, he was just cracking onto chicks. Anyhow, enough yeah. about him. Nothing about that. Enough about past comedy festival past gossip. Comedy festival. <laughs> Uh, um, I suppose that's some advice there. So if, if people were thinking about how to get booked for gigs, be unique, I guess, is, is I a good piece it's, of advice. Or, or just be authentic, yeah. is it? It's, uh, we really, I mean, really, that's what is wanted. It's uh, when you think about all the comedians who are successful, they've got their own voice and it's not because their voice is the way to go. It's because they have... <laughs> developed what they are saying in a unique fashion. So we really want to hear you at different viewpoints, different viewpoints, different, more information. I love a breadth of, of different styles and personalities and backgrounds and cultures. That's why it's been so great in the last uh, 10, 15 years, especially where suddenly we're getting way Uh more voices way more voices because once upon a time if you heard something wasn't an Australian accent 
then it was going to be British or American or Canadian or New Zealand. And that was it. Yeah. And then suddenly I remember when suddenly Ronnie Cheng arrived. It's like, oh, my gosh, it's a different accent. And then Dill came in. And, wow. And now you've got lots of different comedians with lots of different uh, experiences and accents and backgrounds. And we've got uh, so many, so many fantastic comedians who have got a, a, a perspective that I want to hear about. I, I'm mindful of time because I we sort of need to wrap up, but I do have off that. I'm only going to ask probably two questions. One of them is, how do you balance the people you want to see versus the people you should book for an audience? Because oh. I'm, I'm a bit like you when I started. When I started, well, not when mm. when I started, I was booking acts, thinking these are the people I want to see, and and every so often I'll be, be like, I'm going to slip somebody really different into the lineup because I actually really want to see that person. And sometimes it'll work, sometimes it wouldn't. But I, I then started to get more worried about okay, I've I've got to book for the audience as uh, well, or well, do I, or how do you, how, is the audience on the road with you already? And your I think so. I mean, yeah. you develop your own audience. You want to develop a, a style that is your programming style as well. Uh, and is your authentic voice, Luke. I tend to book what I think is a good night out. And, I mean, I've got pretty decent comedy tastes, so I want to be able to <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to be entertained. So you do have to look at uh, what is going to sell. But that doesn't mean you have to sell out. Like you want a, a headliner that people are interested in. But sometimes there's somebody who isn't famous, but they have, they're so interesting, they're so good that they've got a following. And so you don't – for me, if there's somebody who will sell bucket loads of tickets but they're not a very nice person – I'm not interested. Mm. If there's somebody who's been horrible to other comedians, I'm not interested. Mm. I just don't want to have that workplace. I'm choosing my workplace and I want to have good workplace relations. It's a business sometimes. So you have to have, you have to look after your workers. You have to look after yourself. <laughs> so rather than have people who bring uh any 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 bad shit luke <laughs> you want to be able to have uh a good working a good workplace basically as well as a really fantastic show well that's it yeah that's the um pressure in producing um being on the stage you just sort of control you can control your five minutes or ten minutes or twenty minutes whatever you got but when you're producing you've sort of i i feel like a lot of risk if the sh um uh, responsibility, I guess. Mm. Duty of care for the for the acts. Yeah, so absolutely. That, that they have a good time, but also duty of care for the audience. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel a lot of risk? Uh, uh, any stress on that? I don't want to put oh. you into a field of stress, but I, I've I've just started redoing doing a, a, a new gig, and it's just, it, yeah, I'm starting to really feel that stress and think, oh, well, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I think that the trick is only book the people that don't stress you out. Yeah, okay. 
And so if somebody's there going, yeah, so, yeah, when are you going to book me? Uh, yeah, when are going to book with you? Then, and if they're too pushy, forget it. I mean, there's, there's asking is fine. Asking a couple of times is fine. Uh, but if you've said, oh, look, I'm, I've got a list, uh, I'm pretty busy at the moment. If you have somebody who keeps on pushing you, forget it because you don't need that. You yeah, don't need you don't need the stress. <laughs> that's good. Then that's good. Interesting in terms of um, uh, somebody had some talks. Good gigs. New gig. I've been doing a new gig. It's, it's got up and down, and uh, had some comedians. The gig wasn't that good, but afterwards, like they'd been there, done that. They tried on stage. I could see that they were struggling with the crowd, but they were, they were still working and trying to figure. And I just thought, I respect you so much for yeah. The, yeah. the effort you're putting in, even if the crowd's not on board. I think it's their fault. <laughs> yeah, sometimes like, it is. Sometimes <laughs> something's happened uh, that means that something, it, it could have worked, but it didn't. But if you are recognising why it hasn't worked, then that's fine, like as a producer. And, and you yeah. can sometimes communicate that to the performer and say, look, that wasn't your fault. Uh, not quite sure why that didn't gel but I thought you did great or here's a couple of ideas or something or here's my explanation. You know, before you came on stage, uh, somebody at the back of the room dropped a glass and it, you know. And so sometimes there's tiny little things because, you know, stand-up is... the audience, yeah. People think that stand-up can be done anywhere under any circumstances, but it's theatre. Yeah, so yeah. different things affect live performance in different ways. Maybe somebody at the back of the room's just dropped an enormous fart and <laughs> it's really put people off. <laughs> They're gagging down the back so they can't laugh. Yeah. No one wants to say anything. No one wants to open their mouth. Nobody wants to. <laughs> so. Uh... And, and, and how do you feel about giving feedback though? What if, what if someone does not such a good job? Do you, do you, do you express that to them? directly or after the gig or do, 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 you, do you find a way to or if you know if if they leave and you didn't have a chance to come do you, do you follow them up later by text? Do you, do you depends ever, on the person yeah okay. completely depends on the person and how they would respond if okay. they ask for feedback yeah. that's the sort of thing it, it really is just completely circumstantial sometimes okay. because every now and again yeah, somebody yeah. will I'll, – I'll get people coming up and going, oh, yeah, sorry about that gig two years ago. Although, having said that, I remember David Quirk used to come off stage every single time and go, oh, sorry about that, Janet, <laughs> for years. And I'd go, no, but I enjoyed it. Uh, He'd think that it wasn't particularly good, but it was always interesting. He was, he's always been interesting, even though it might not quite work <laughs> in the early days. I always, I never got the impression that the audience was resentful or anything like that. They'd just be going, oh, oh, I'm, I'm confused, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. I've seen him do that. He, um, he did a gig not long ago. He was like, was that okay? And he was on stage. He was asking yeah. the audience generally, was that okay? I think we got a good vibe. I'm supposed to get off. I think it did okay. Are you guys happy? 
I think I will get off now. The comedian. I better get off now. But you had a good time. Good. Okay. The comedian who comes with his own DVD commentary. (laughs) (laughs) I love watching the adventures that people have from early days, and then watch as they become a promising comedian, good mid-range comedian, then get towards the the top of their game. Yeah. But that also evolves too. Somebody who you think, oh, they're, you know, they're how, oh, they can't get any better than that. Oh, and then they jump up. So sometimes you'll see that, you know, the two-year mark, the four-year mark, eight years, then you see a real 10-year mark. People really consolidate. But then you see another jump. And if they're around for long enough, sometimes you'll see a jump, 15, 20-year mark sometimes. Oh. It's like George Carlin. Have a look at – he his stuff from the 70s into what he became later, I mean, his voice changed as well as his attitude on stage. He became this great curmudgeon on stage, this misanthropist who was wonderful. And his 70s stuff, he was a lot more light. Can I ask, I promised I was going to have just a couple of questions, but you, you've you've raised a topic that was just uh uh, someone I know who's very good um, comedian, and they're really at a crossroads because they've been very good for a while, mm. um, and I think it's because they're in, interstate. I won't name them, but they they live in the state, and they they they're a very good writer, but they just sort of hit a, a road. And I just sort of think, is a problem of comedy that there is this theory of a trajectory? Yes, and yeah, sometimes also, mm, mm. also that it's. Like for for a lot of people who get into it, it's this lovely, fun hobby of writing jokes and enjoying the 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 mood and the whole thing, and then the expectation that one day you'll be Jimmy Carr, like, <laughs> and the difference between like I was trying to think of an analogy for that, and it's almost like someone who's um, a pigeon trainer, homing pigeon trainer, just goes out and enjoys homing pigeons. There's no expectation that their hobby is going to lead to them being real yeah. famous, yeah, but. You almost start, like it's a dumb thing, but you're almost starting on the same level. It is you're just starting like a social thing, but there's an expectation that you're. I guess that's it. If you, it's fine to do it as a hobby. That's that's fine. It's absolutely completely respectable to be a jobbing comedian. Mm. That is absolutely fine as well. You don't get other other. Uh, you know, you, there's no expectation for you to be the best cobbler in the world. Uh, but there's also, because some people get frustrated because they don't, they want that, what's new, what's new, the, that, uh, the validation of I've got a trajectory. Yeah. And when they get to what they see as a plateau, and it might not be a plateau, it's just a more gentle, a more gentle sort of time that they hit. Like there's people later in life who, suddenly get a new uh, a new angle like you see Anil Desai uh, maybe who's a, a, a British uh, uh, impressionist and I've just seen him suddenly become return to his acting roots and start to get bits and pieces of acting work uh, you'll see like Dave Johns another jobbing comedian in the UK suddenly gone into movies you see different different things happen yeah. well, you get people transferring their skills from stand-up 
uh, like, I mean, I, I don't, I did do stand up, uh, but didn't really enjoy it, I suppose. Didn't really enjoy the scene in that time uh, with the sort of stuff that I, I was doing or wanted to do. And so I turned my hand to hosting trivia nights and things. And I, so I host trivia nights, council events, uh, uh, story time at the State Library, uh, uh, varying things. I'm going to be uh, touring with uh, Orchestra Victoria, not not as a musician, not a musician, <laughs> as a narrator. Uh, so there's things like that where these skills can transfer into different areas. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. These are all good avenues. So finding this, I suppose there's this, what I would call the the stand-up wankers. The stand-up wankers, the ones who go, yeah, one man, one mic. Yeah, it's a purest form of comedy, blah, blah, blah. And they look down on anybody who's using these skills for anything other than standing on stage with a microphone and they will slag off people who do variety acts and they'll slag it. It's just like so limiting. It's so conservative. It's so conservative because there's, yeah. So many things you could do. It's not acknowledging that, you know, people have different skills and you've got one skill. That doesn't mean that's the only skill that should exist. Well, it's also that people will sometimes believe them, I suppose. And so you'll see people just doing the same, trying to plough the same furrow again and again and again. It's not working for them. Uh, And it's only when they, I don't know, take a break and wander off and can find what is going to work for them. Yeah. Uh, um, Yeah, I've... I've sort of had that wandering moment, yeah, recently with the the producing stuff that I've been doing. But yeah, um, last question because I should give you the last question since I promised it to you about ten minutes ago. <laughs> As we just keep rattling on, who yeah, knows yeah. what this podcast is going to no, be we'll, like? We'll, we'll start talking about Laura Davis again in a moment. Yeah. Um, the last question I always ask people, um, is why comedy? So, you, you, as you said, you 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 hosting trivia and you do research things but you still even even though you're doing that after doing some stand-up you're still working with comedians yeah you still work within that the industry so to speak hmm why, why is it why why that why 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 stick your nose in it <laughs> without being but, i know yeah. why i sometimes wonder where my life would have gone if i hadn't have gotten myself trapped in this industry <laughs> i mean you get a a great experience you have you can have a lot of fun there's a brilliant sense of camaraderie to be had there can also just be tedious people but you know who make it unpleasant but when you find your gang you find your little community then it's it's exciting because there's mm. so much creativity happening and you you get a laugh all the time. Who doesn't love that? You get to laugh a lot. I'm just looking at, you know, with the coloured shirt and coloured headphones and lights going on. I'm just thinking, you really seem to be drawn to that creativity, the new, because that's what comedy, there's lots of new yeah. thoughts all the time. Because if there isn't new thoughts all the time, you're just reading from the joke book. Well, the, the side of 
comedy that I enjoy is that, and this can also be lost in what is comedy because the comedy seems, it keeps getting uh, framed as be, it's stand up, but that's only one <laughs> part of comedy. Yeah, as Patrick one, Collins says, there's two yeah. parts of comedy there's stand up <laughs> and mime. Yeah, there's, there's like so many different types of comedy and styles and whatever. And uh, I, I enjoy those elements that people don't pay serious enough attention to. For example, here's a here's something. Delight. Delight is a part of comedy. It's a part of uh, the human experience. Like if you think about what are the happiest times in your life, it's not going to be going, oh yeah, that was a pretty edgy joke. It's not that. <laughs> It's going to be you going, oh, my God, look at that. And you're delighted by something. There's something that's absolutely thrilled you. And so that is one of the elements within comedy that I just find uh, addictive, just being so delighted and thrilled by what, what is happening, by what you're seeing somebody do or say or how they're doing it is usually it. So that's... That's the stuff. If you're if you're being delighted all the time, Luke, then that is what keeps hooking you back in. I think that's a perfect way to end this. Thank you very much, Janet. That's a great um, sentiment. It's perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> that was another good episode. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To support this podcast and hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member, visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha, but please don't take all this comedy talk too seriously because as EB and Catherine Wright wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process. <laughs>